few days ago, I had the pleasure of witnessing John Prine playing to about 120 people at the Station Inn here in Nashville. Really small room. And throughout the evening, he brought up a bunch of friends to play some songs with him. That's people like Jim Rooney, Sean Camp, Cowboy Jack Clement, Tim O'Brien, Bobby Bear Sr. It was just a great, beautiful evening of music. So people ask me all the time, why did you move to Nashville? And I never have that great of an answer. As I sat there watching John Prine and all of his friends get up, all of these greats, these people that do things at such a high level and have made records that I've listened to my entire life, I realized evenings like this are exactly why I live in Nashville. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee on a very cold wintry day and I'm too cheap to turn on the heat. And I have three cats snuggled up next to me trying to stay warm. But this is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. And this is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Richard Dobson. Richard is a singer-songwriter originally from Texas, but he's been living in Switzerland for quite a few years now. His songs have been recorded by people like David Allen Coe, Guy Clark, Lacey J. Dalton, Nancy Griffith, Kelly Willis, Carlene Carter, Dave Edmonds, and a whole lot of other folks. Richard has also written two books. The first one's an autobiographical book about his years hanging out with Towns Van Zant and a lot of other folks. It's called The Gulf Coast Boys, and I highly recommend that one. And then he also wrote a book called The Pleasures of the High Rhine, A Texas Singer in Exile. And I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But you can find out everything you need to know about Richard at richardjdobson.ch. So I got to sit down and chat with Richard for a while at my buddy Tom Yutz's place outside of Nashville. Here's Richard Dobson. All right, well, I, I, I live in Switzerland now with my wife Edith, and uh, in, it's a little town. It's called Diesenhofen. D I E S. S-E-N-H-O-F-E-N. Diesenhofen. You grow pot? Is that right? Oh, you're asking me that already. Yeah, we do. We, we, uh, it's, uh, they're fairly uh, uh, liberal in Switzerland about that. Uh, for, for you just growing your own. You know, If you have three or four plants on your balcony, they'll let you go. They'll just kind of look the other way. If you if you want to if you want to get a whole room full of it and make a profit, then they then they'll go after you. <laughs> it's a money thing. They're not really too okay. moralistic about it. So it's officially illegal, but they just don't enforce it's it. It's officially illegal illegal to sell it, 
but there's no law against smoking it, uh, except they except if they if they think you've been smoking and they catch you driving, then they then they will make a test and and, and they, if they determine you have it in you or on you, then they then they might take your license away for a while. So there is there are some constrictions, but uh, where do you where do you grow it at? In the balcony. Okay. Yeah. Is it hydroponics and all of that stuff? No, just in a pot with with some real good soil, real good <laughs> earth. You know, they have they have some uh, head shop, not head shops, but grow shops where you know it's it's not legal to uh, to have a grow room, but but you can buy whatever you need to grow stuff, and you can buy special earth. Most of it comes from the Netherlands, actually. That's really the pot the pot capital. Hard to get a fishing license? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It was. I, I, uh, I, I have a book uh, out that just came out last year, and I wrote it at some length about that. But, yeah, to get a fishing license, you have to, uh, you have to take a test. And you have to, uh, well, it, they, we went down to the police station, and they handed me a packet of, uh, of about... Uh, 30 pages of of, uh, of uh, multiple choice questions. And at the time, I didn't really know any German. I scarcely know any now, but I was trying to memorize the, the correct responses. And, and it covers everything from, you know, what, wh- where the fish spawn, what time of year do they, what, uh, what they eat, uh, what, what conditions make for a fish kill, uh, and just on and on, all kinds of information that you're really supposed to know. But and then uh, after a time, I I, uh, I practiced on this exam and, and and learned most of the responses and and um, went down and took my test and I passed it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your lifetime fishing license. And then after that, you go, you you renew every year, but you know you you have to jump through that big hoop first. All right. Well, what do you fish for? Uh, well, in in the Rhine, where where I live, it's just coming. We're on the Rhine, where it comes out of Lake Constance, and uh, the Upper Rhine, the Hinter Rhine, uh, comes out of the mountains into Lake Constance, and it's it's the largest lake in Europe. It's it's not as large as the Great Lakes, but it's it's pretty large. Uh, and maybe twenty miles across at the biggest point, and and it's a cold water lake and and a glacial lake, and when the it comes out of there, so we, we have cold water fish, trout, and uh, and uh, grayling is is kind of the favored fish, and that's not really very common in in America except way up north. They, they have this beautiful uh, dorsal fin that pulls up, and they're 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 really delicious, but. You don't get to keep about three a day, and only so many per season. It's a, it's a lot of t- a lot of trouble for very little fish. <laughs> <laughs> but I love to fish, so I do it anyway. Yeah, and the equipment is different and stuff too. How's the equipment different? Uh, it's drift fishing with the, you use a a real lightweight monofilament line, and it's about a twelve foot rod, which allows you to to fish deep with a bobber a noodle rod or is it a, a noodle rod i'm not that's i'm not familiar with that when you're salmon fishing up in uh northern around the great lakes and the rivers that come out of there 
there's a really long rod that's extremely limber that allows you to fish with really light line. Okay. It's kind of like a fly fishing rod, only it's meant for a spinning reel. Okay. Well, it's similar to that. The 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 reel is an interesting feature. It's uh it's like a the size of a saucer plate, and it's a single action with no gears. So you reel it in like a like a old fashioned fly reel. But then when then you you hold it with your you know with your finger and and you flip it sideways, so it's perpendicular to the rod, and then the re- then the line spools off of the reel. Mm. <clears throat> like a spinning rod and they throw way out into the Rhine and then they drift it down with a bobber. It might be, you know, eight feet, you know, they try to adjust it to where it rides right above the bottom and with a real tiny piece, a little, a real tiny wet fly or sometimes a piece of corn. You know, they used corn for trout here in America too. And it's uh it's it's kind of technically challenging to use that 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 gear and uh, you know it's been fun. A, a two pound grayling is a really pretty large fish, so they don't they don't really get too big. Then the trout are trout are pretty good size, but there's not so many of them now in the river because of some kind of mystery, excuse me mysterious disease. Nobody knows anything about the. Disease. They don't know what it is. They think it might be. Uh, Birth control pills washed into the water. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I worked on shrimp boats when I when I was about I guess I was about thirty or something like that. I I, I had to get that out of my system too. And uh, yeah, I did I did a little bit of that. Not a lot, but what's that like? Oh, that's pretty. It's kind of dirty and grueling and uh, and, and uh, incredibly wasteful of the, of the marine life, you know, trawling, you know, yeah. just everything comes up from the bottom and the shrimp is only probably about 2% of what you catch or less and then the rest just goes over the side through the scuppers and it's, it's already dead, you know, drowned or, you know, it's a lot of waste in, in, in trawling. I loved it at the time. It was adventure, you know. I always read a lot of books about the sea when I was young, so I had to, I had to go try it. And, and also later on, uh, we we uh, we worked on uh, on on uh, oil field boats, crew boats, and then we we would kind of fish in our spare time. It, we weren't really supposed to be, but we did, you know. And the, the fishing off those offshore drilling rigs and platforms is really pretty good. Because of the you know the barnacles uh, that collect there attract uh, in the structure attracts all kinds of smaller fish and then the bigger ones come around so we catch a lot of them. What was Nashville like on a typical? Oh yeah, well back in the in the, I came here about 1971 and that's why I, I came to you know you 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 probably noticed the same thing that people come here and you. You tend to associate with the people who arrive about the same time you do, and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of like a high school class, you know. After about four years, you know, some people move on and graduate, and some people split. Uh, but the class I came I came in up with here was uh, first people I met were, were Guy and Susanna Clark, and uh, I met uh, Rodney Crowell. He came to town right at the same time. We were we were roommates for a while. 
And uh, there was a fellow named Skinny Dennis Sanchez. And he, 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 he died pretty early on. And anyway, through Guy and Susanna, I met, uh, I met Towns. Actually, I met the Texans here in Nashville for some reason. I, didn't, I was usually gone from Texas. And uh, let's see, Towns, Rodney, Guy. Uh, actually, I met David only about the same time. He's the first guy I met, and uh, one of the first guys I met here. Uh, we we met down at Tree Music, uh, cooling our heels. <laughs> <laughs> I think in those days you could actually bring a guitar into an office and, and play your song live. And we were both sitting there with our guitars, and and uh, we didn't. I didn't even know what a publisher was. Really, they just said go to Tree. <laughs> You're just kind of learning on the job, you know. What was it like living with Rodney Crow? Oh, Rodney, he was always just from the get go. He was, he was, he was way ahead. Of, uh, he was on top of his game. I always kind of divided up between the people who were, who were, who just kind of new, new country and folk music, and and the people who could actually play the Beatles songs. And Ronnie, yeah. he he knew how to play Beatles songs, so he was way advanced. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I met Towns through through Guy and and, and and Susanna, and I think he was staying with them. They had a they were living in East Nashville at the time, small. It's about two blocks from my house. Oh, is that where you are now? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Eastland, I think it was. Yeah. Right. You remember anything about that house in particular? Did you ever hang out at Dino's? No, that doesn't ring a bell. That's the oldest bar in East Nashville, so I always wonder if uh, if you guys hung out at Dino's at all. No, uh, the hangout was was Bishop's American Pub, which is now called the Tin Angel. Okay. And uh, when I first came to town, it was two doors down from from Bishop's was a, a rooming house. So the very first place I moved when I came to town was this rooming house. And then we moved to the little house on Ackland where Dennis Sanchez and Rodney were and people coming and going all the time. And uh, I forget where I moved after that. I moved, lived in several places. I'm not, you're, you're an East Nashville guy, but at the time it was it was kind of a, it was a place where songwriters went for 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 cheap rent, but there wasn't any kind of a scene going on over there, as I recall. The the besides Bishop's American Pub, the other the other place was uh, the original Exit Inn. And there was a lot of really good music going. A lot of people came through town, and and we saw some. We the the, the they used to let us in. For the second show if it wasn't too crowded we could sneak in there for free and and uh, i saw oh, i saw muddy waters there i saw tom waits there uh it's just amazing amount of talent that went through it was quite a school i remember i remember muddy waters that was that was just blew me away uh john hyatt played there all the time at the early exit end. And, and Guy, from time to time, uh, I think David, David played there a few times. And uh, we're hard, we're going back to early seventies. I think I've got <laughs> I've got some holes in my memory, you know. <laughs> the movie there was a movie called Nashville, 
with Robert Altman. That yeah, that and that movie showed pretty much showed showed the locale as it looked inside in those days. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a long time, so a lot of that shot in the exit in. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> we uh, uh we did a lot of hanging out in in and actually a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of pretty pretty wild and sort of self-destructive behavior, you know, a lot of drinking. Uh, well, one of the, <laughs> in, in 19, let's see, around New Year's 1975, uh, I was on the road with Towns, and I was just kind of hanging out with them. I was opening some of their shows and sitting in. And uh, it was Towns and with, and Rex Bell and Mickey White, and they were they were kind of the, they they were called the Hemorrhage Mountain Boys, and uh, I think Towns invented the name. And uh, they were playing. They had a two week uh, a two weeks in Jackson Jackson Hole at the ski resort, and and uh, they were living in where we were living in a in a motor home that was owned by a fellow named Johnny Guess, who was a, a one of Towns's dear friends, but he was a total reprobate and <laughs> crazy guy, and uh, and and everybody was drinking a lot, and and uh, this this motor home was was not really that well insulated, and and we just had an electric line running into the to this place called the Mangy Moose. And it was so cold that, you know, it was. You're from up north, I guess. You know what what cold is, and no, none of those people, Rex, and none of us had ever been in that kind of cold before. I, I had a little bit because I'd spent a winter in northern Michigan, <laughs> but everybody was freezing, and then we had all our clothes on, and uh, and it was it was ice on the inside of the window. <laughs> 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 and a little heater blowing, you know, and 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 these people just uh, just going kind of nuts and crazy all the time, just to see how far they could take it, you know. And I, I wrote about that in 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 a in a book I put out about ten years ago called The Gulf Coast Boys. And I, actually, it could have been a lot, it could have been a lot more detailed. Uh, I uh, because I had a little uh, a little cassette recorder. And when all this nutsy stuff was going on, I'd, I'd turn on, surreptitiously turn on the cassette recorder. And I later transcribed about four or five of those tapes. And uh, then the rest of them were destroyed in a, in a fire in my parents' house in, in Houston. So the book would have been, would have been a lot more about, about that particular time than it, than it actually turned out to be because I'd really forgotten all of it. <laughs> Never was very good at making up dialogue, but I, but I, some of the conversations were actually verbatim. Well, you know, I tell you, guy, guy was, guy has always been. Uh, he, he's kind of a, uh, not reclusive. He's kind of taciturn, sort of. Uh, he he doesn't suffer fools. And uh, so I was always a little bit cautious around Guy, but but one thing he's he does have a, a, a big streak of, of kindness in him, and he he has helped a lot of people who have come to town. 
over the years, and he's still doing that. And uh, when I first came to town, he kind of he liked what I was doing, and I had I had one song at the time that I came to town with it was called Baby Ride Easy. And uh, after I'd known him about a week or, or two, we went in the studio and cut a demo of that song, and it got published and uh, with a company called Sunbury Dunbar at the time. And uh, darn if it, it did get, it got, it got recorded and it turned out to be one of my better songs. Not, it was almost a hit in England. Uh, Carlene Carter and Dave Edmonds did it and, and the Carter family did it. And, and, and anyway, that was, I, I when I got to town, I thought, oh, this isn't going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it for years. <laughs> But anyway, Guy was very helpful to me right at the beginning. He made me feel welcome. And, you know, I could scarcely play. I was kind of learning on the job. And uh, and I know he was very, you know, he, he helped Rodney and uh, and a lot of other. I think he helped Lyle Lovett when he came around. And just down through the years, he's always been really, really good to new people showing up. And Susanna was always kind of a you know, very... She was kind of the queen and and really really beautiful lady and and uh, was, that was they was kind of the center of a scene for a few years there. Was it obvious that um that there was something special taking place? In well, the it sure was special to me. I mean, uh, gosh, I you know it was such an education. Uh, the <clears throat> there was a movie made around that time called Heartworn Highways. And it was kind of. It looked like Beggar's Banquet, if you remember that. Uh, <laughs> if you remember that album cover, but the, the movie. If you check out the movie, that's kind of that. In, in that's kind of what it was like, you know, on special occasions or when people were really getting kind of out there. But that was. Uh, I think subsequently, some of the people in that movie were kind of disavowed it, you know. But I. I I was I was really cut out of it, but put back in later when they made a DVD. And for me, I, I I I'm kind of embarrassed about how drunk we were. But but on the other hand, it was it was it was kind of nice to get in a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think you were coached up to being drunk? Maybe. Well, I think we were kind of we we were all kind of inclined that way anyway. But I think everybody was extremely nervous. So they were just uh, probably doing just a little Dutch courage, you know, they call it. <laughs> but it did, you know, it was funny. It, uh, it was something that the, the director mentioned in, in some of the liner notes. He said, uh, it was funny. Everybody looked like everybody was getting pretty looped, but their, their fingers and their hand coordination were the last things to go. I mean, they were, everybody was like... <laughs> Steve Earle was another guy in that group. He was the youngest, and he came about that time. And he was, he was, he was quite good at the time. When he came, he he already had some really great songs under his belt, and he was brash. And you know. it was just kind of a typical picking party, and it went on for a couple hours. But I think it was done on two different occasions. One, one was at 
guy in Susanna's house out by Old Hickory Lake, and the other was done at Jim McGuire's studio. Uh, but uh, thinking back on it, I really can't can't really recall one from the other. You know, they were kind of similar. <laughs> was it a typical representation of what uh, a Saturday night might be like? Yeah, in ki- that ki- kind of, kind of. People were were a little bit more conscious of something special going on. So, yeah. but but other than that, it was pretty typical. We were totally unknown at the time. I mean, guy had a writer's deal. But I think everybody. And then Steve Young was in there, and he was he was already well on his way. He was pretty well known. But I don't think I don't think Rodney was, and and, and nobody knew who Steve was. That was years away from Guitar Town, and sure. Uh, there's a couple other people in that movie that I never saw again. So. Did you spend any time with David Allen Coe? I now and then I'd see him around. I had all a little bit of a contentious uh, relationship with David. He he, uh, he recorded one of my songs called "Piece of Wood and Steel," and it was a it was a minor key song about a guitar about my guitar. It was, not a typical Nashville kind of song. Of course, none of mine were really, to tell you the truth. But uh, he recorded that song, and then and then he he kind of went he he published self published a book called something about the truth or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly. But in the book, he he um, he printed up two reviews where the reviewer thought that he had written Piece of Wood and Steel. And, and it was praising him as being, as being this, this writer who had produced Wood and Steel, and it was my song. And I was furious. I was just absolutely livid. And, and you know, and, uh, and I just uh, I wrote him some kind of nasty letter, and, and I wrote everybody I could think of saying, this guy's ripping me off, and... If, you know, if I'd had any sense, I would have been quiet about it and just gone about my business and then talked to the right people and and hired a lawyer but instead of just shooting off my mouth because all I did was make an enemy out of him and uh, mm-hmm. and it didn't do me any good because he owns the publishing to the song. So I never got a dime out of that damn thing. And he never put it on another record. And if I'd have been, if I'd have been nice instead of the other way, maybe he might have. Because a lot of people say that they like that song. Yeah. Mm. Was he a typically difficult person? Well, he was so full of himself. I mean, he he was he was well. He sure knew how to promote himself. He was larger than life. You know? But he really he wasn't really the kind of guy you want to hang with. Not not me anyway. But he you can't. There's a lot of talent there. I mean, I wouldn't want to take that away from him. It just just kind of a strange personality. Edith, my wife, ran away from home and joined me in Texas. <laughs> Nobody thought it would last. It was, it was everybody in Switzerland was shocked. And, and, uh, and so we lived together and, and, uh, she had only been in the country just a short while when Towns died. So uh, I know there was a, some kind of a, a 
of, of a ceremony here in Nashville, but the, the family funeral was up there where you went, up there outside of Fort Worth. And so uh, Rex Bell and his, his girlfriend and another girl and Edith and I drove up to the funeral one bitterly cold day. And uh, we were up there, and it was uh, it was um, it was kind of interesting. Was, all all Towns's family was there, people we didn't know, and then of course they didn't know us, and and I think they were a little shocked at how many people turned up for that thing. And uh, but uh, it was uh, it, <laughs> it was cool. One funny thing was. Uh, uh, we got uh, after some some talk, and I don't know what, what all was going on. Everybody went to the graveside, and so Janine Towns's ex-wife, uh, <laughs> she had the ashes, so she was gonna she was gonna put the ashes in the hole, you know. And everybody's kind of standing around, and, and uh, she looked at it and she said. This is plastic," she said. "Towns wouldn't want to be buried in no plastic." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, somebody gave her a pocket knife, and she cut off the top of the thing and started to pour the ashes in the hole. Well, the wind was blowing like hell, and the and the ashes were scattered all around. <laughs> 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 and uh, I think they saved some back, and some of his ashes got. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know who all got some of Towns's ashes, but uh, but they didn't all go down in the hole. I know that. Okay. And uh, then the later there was some. Uh, I think Rex played a couple of Towns's songs, or maybe uh, maybe JT Towns's son might have played and on his guitar. And some of the family gave some anecdotes, and it was a nice nice send off, I guess. You know. Uh, ever run into Blaze Fuller? Oh, sure. Yeah, we were buddies. Yeah. He and Towns were good friends. Well, he and Towns used to get all twisted up. And, uh, well, you, I guess you've heard all the stories how he used to dress up and uh, where he would uh, decorate himself with duct tape. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and he was, uh, you know, he kind of stumbling around Austin and, and, and he was. Yeah, he'd get arrested by the police and stuff like that. They all knew him, but everybody in town knew him. Oh, I guess the one I'll tell you one kind of a of a sad thing and a, but an interesting thing. Uh I was playing uh the Cactus Cafe one night in the Cactus Cafe in Austin. And I heard this uh I heard this commotion going out out there by the door, you know. And it was kind of the voices were getting kind of loud and everything. And what I looked up at what they were, they were kicking Blaze. He was trying to come into the club and they were kicking him out of the club. And they were just saying, ah, yeah, son of a bitch, blah, 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 blah. You know, and just like they were just had no respect for him at all. Just utter, get out of here, you wino. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. And at the time, Blaze was, you know, I guess in a way it was his own his own worst enemy, but uh, he, he, he could only play. I think the only place he could play in Austin was a place called the, the outhouse, the Austin outhouse. 
and and he was pretty much 86 from all the clubs in town and he really didn't have any kind of reputation he was just kind of uh, uh looked down upon and later and then i i was living in nashville when he died and and towns went to the funeral and uh in austin and and you know there were but the he got resurrected and and then all of a sudden everybody loved him and i and i remember when they didn't love him at all and it just made me wonder you know how how can things get so twisted around you know and now he's an icon and i always thought well gosh if he'd lived long enough to see how much people like him now and even made a movie about him uh, but I, I thought it was kind of sad because I thought he was just right on his way. He had just gotten a really good cut with uh, Merle Haggard and and Willie. My God, you know, and uh, and he, you know, seemed like he really had a good shot, and and he just ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time trying to help somebody or. Really, was he trying to help somebody or just getting in somebody else's business? I don't know, but he got shot, and that was the end of his career, you know. And and it, you know, it was, to me, I thought it was a shame. I didn't think it was noble or wonderful. And I I said as much in that movie, so I didn't get in the movie. You know, <laughs> I'm always shooting my mouth off. <laughs> but anyway, it was you know, it was, it was really. Really a soulful guy. Well, I appreciate you uh, yeah. taking the time to chat with me. All right, today. thanks, Otis. That's that's just really uh, I enjoyed. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be part of this thing. You know, I appreciate you putting up with me. It's beautiful out here. Which yeah, it is. I might ought to mention where we're at. We're uh, at Tom Yutz's place. Yeah, out here in uh, Hermitage, close to Mount Juliet and Percy Priest Lake. Surrounded by beauty. Yeah. All right, thank you. You bet. Thanks. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Richard for sitting down and chatting with me at my buddy Tom Yutz's place way outside of Nashville. And I'd like to thank Tom Yutz for letting us use that place. You can find out everything you need to know about Richard at richardjdobson.ch. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my fine art photographic prints, it'd look great on the wall in your living room, you can buy one of Amy's records, you could buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It'll take five seconds just to click the five-star button, but it'll help this show an awful lot. And uh, if you want to leave a comment while you're there, that would be beautiful. It helps us move up in the search rankings, and it helps a lot more people find out about this show. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.